Long history. Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana. Part 1. Who was Sir Walter Raleigh? Welcome everyone to the latest document on long history. This document is by one of history's most famous explorers, Sir Walter Raleigh. From the start, however, this document is different. Whereas previous documents we've looked at have been direct descriptions of voyages and, in the case of the Philippines, the early colonisation of the islands, here, Raleigh's document is less about the journey and is more a case for colonisation and conquest. In other documents, in the meantime, the personalities themselves have been in the background. Here, however, Raleigh is the star. Now, for any new listeners to Long History, welcome. What we like to do here on Long History is split source documents up into 10-minute chunks. In that way, we like to give you not the brief history, but the full history. So if you've listened to some of those short histories and want something with a bit more detail, you've found the right place. Welcome. To any of our long-time listeners, welcome also. It's nice to have you back. And as I say, this document is slightly different, which makes it difficult to introduce. It's split into four sections, more or less. And it begins with a long introduction, which on Long History we've divided over two episodes. Now I'd say it's worth listening to the introduction to hear Sir Walter Raleigh's case for colonisation and conquest and his slightly defensive attitude towards his own writing. You'll see his personality begin to emerge here, but if you're not interested in that sort of stuff, the journey itself begins in episode 3. But even so, after he begins telling us about that journey, he takes a large tangent, telling us all about the history of exploration in the area, and particularly about the legend of El Dorado. And Raleigh in particular tells us some of the many explorations that have taken place, some very eccentric tales. And the final part of the document, the main part, begins with Raleigh describing his journey. And we soon begin to realise why there's been so many long digressions. Whereas the previous voyages we've looked at on Long History have been presented us with facts, however believable they may be, they are still facts in the terms of the documents themselves. Here, on the other hand, Raleigh, with few facts at hand, bolsters his own account with rumours of Amazonian women, of men without heads, of crystal mountains, and endless unimaginable wealth. All of these are never quite seen, they're just out of reach. So here, overall, we have a document that blends fact and fiction. We could see it as a predecessor of those tales of pure fiction, such as Robinson Crusoe, and of explorations of fantastical lands, such as in Gulliver's Travels. By the end of Raleigh's text, however, it becomes quite clear what this is really about. Raleigh wants to impress a queen, Queen Elizabeth of England. So we're going to begin specifically with the 1909 edition of this text, and that starts with a handy little biography, which is from a series called The Harvard Classics, Volume 33, from 1909, as I said. And after that biography, we begin with Raleigh's text itself, and in this first introduction, he summarises his document, And I would have to say, please bear with us here, because the language does get very flowery, and as often happens with these documents, things do eventually settle down and begin to, as he begins to tell his tale. In this introduction, however, he is basically making his case for conquering the lands he's explored. So let's get on with it. We'll start with that biography, followed by Sir Walter Raleigh's first introduction. So I hope you enjoy this latest episode, a new document on long history, Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana, Part 1, Who Was Sir Walter Raleigh? Introductory note. Sir Walter Raleigh may be taken as the great typical figure of the age of Elizabeth. Courtier and statesman, soldier and sailor, scientist and man of letters, he engaged in almost all the main lines of public activity in his time, and was distinguished in them all. His father was a Devonshire gentleman of property. 
connected with many of the distinguished families of the south of England. Walter was born about 1552 and was educated at Oxford. He first saw military service in the Huguenot army in France in 1569 and in 1578 engaged with his half-brother, Sir Humphrey Gilbert, in the first of his expeditions against the Spaniards. After some service in Ireland, he attracted the attention of the Queen and rapidly rose to the perilous position of her chief favourite. With her approval, he fitted out two expeditions for the colonisation of Virginia, neither of which did his royal mistress permit him to lead in person, and neither of which succeeded in establishing a permanent settlement. After about six years of high favour, Raleigh found his position at court endangered by the rivalry of Essex, and in 1592, on returning from convoying a squadron he had fitted out against the Spanish, he was thrown into the tower by the orders of the Queen, who had discovered an intrigue between him and one of her ladies whom he subsequently married. He was ultimately released, engaged in various naval exploits, and in 1594 sailed for South America, on the voyage described in the following narrative. On the death of Elizabeth, Raleigh's misfortunes increased. He was accused of treason against James I, condemned, reprieved and imprisoned for twelve years, during which he wrote his History of the World and engaged in scientific researches. In 1616 he was liberated to make another attempt to find the gold mine in Venezuela, but the expedition was disastrous and, on his return, Raleigh was executed on the old charge in 1618. In his vices, as in his virtues, Raleigh is a thorough representative of the great adventurers who laid the foundations of the British Empire. Raleigh's Discovery of Guyana The discovery of the large, rich and beautiful empire of Guyana, with a relation of the great and golden city of Manoa, which the Spaniards call El Dorado, and the provinces of Amiria, Aromaya, Amapaya and other countries, with their rivers adjoining. Performed in the year 1595 by Sir Walter Raleigh, Knight, Captain of Her Majesty's Guard, Lord Warden of the Stanneries and Her Highness Lieutenant General of the County of Cornwall. To the Right Honourable, my singular good lord and kinsman, Charles Howard, Knight of the Garter, Baron and Councillor, and of the Admirals of England the most renowned, and to the Right Honourable Sir Robert Cecil, Knight, Councillor in Her Highness Privy Councils. For your honour's many honourable and friendly parts, I have hitherto only returned promises, and now, for answer of both your adventures, I have sent you a bundle of papers, which I have divided between your Lordship and Sir Robert Cecil in these two respects chiefly. First, for that it is reason that weightful factors, when they have consumed such stocks as they had in trust, do yield some colour for the same in their account. Secondly, for that I am assured that whatsoever shall be done or written by me shall need a double protection and defence. The trial that I had of both your loves, when I was left of all but of malice and revenge, makes me still presume that you will be pleased, knowing what little power I had to perform aught, and the great advantage of forewarned enemies, to answer that out of knowledge which others shall but object out of malice. 
in my more happy times, as I did especially honour you both, so I found that your love sought me out in the darkest shadow of adversity, and the same affection which accompanied my better fortune soared not away from me in my many miseries, all which though I cannot requite, yet I shall ever acknowledge, and the great debt which I have no power to pay, I can do no more for a time but confess to be due. It is true that as my errors were great, so they have yielded very grievous effects, and if aught might have been deserved in former times, to have counterpoised any part of offences, the fruit thereof, as it seemeth, was long before fallen from the tree, and the dead stock only remained. I did, therefore, even in the winter of my life undertake these travails, fitter for bodies less blasted with misfortunes, for men of greater ability, and for minds of better encouragement, that thereby, if it were possible, I might recover but the moderation of excess, and the least taste of the greatest plenty formerly possessed. If I had known other way to win, if I had imagined how greater adventures might have regained, if I could conceive what farther means I might yet use but even to appease so powerful displeasure, I would not doubt, but for one year more to hold fast my soul in my teeth till it were performed. Of that little remain I had, I have wasted in effect all herein. I have undergone many constructions. I have been accompanied with many sorrows, with labour, hunger, heat, sickness and peril. It appeareth, notwithstanding, that I made no other bravado of going to the sea than was meant, and that I was never hidden in Cornwall or elsewhere, as was supposed. They have grossly belied me that forejudged that I would rather become a servant to the Spanish king than return. And the rest were much mistaken, who would have persuaded that I was too easeful and sensual to undertake a journey of so great travail. But if what I have done received the gracious construction of a painful pilgrimage, and purchased the least remission, I shall think all too little, and that there were wanting to the rest many miseries. But if both the times past, the present, and what may be in the future, do all by one grain of gall continue in eternal distaste, I do not then know whether I should bewail myself, either for my too much travail and expense, or condemn myself for doing less than that which can deserve nothing. From myself I have deserved no thanks, for I am returned a beggar and withered. But that I might have bettered my poor estate, it shall appear from the following discourse, if I had not only respected Her Majesty's future honour and riches. It became not the former fortune in which I once lived to go journeys of pickery. It had sorted ill with the offices of honour, which by Her Majesty's grace I hold this day in England, to run from cape to cape, and from place to place for the pillage of ordinary prizes. Many years since I had knowledge by relation of that mighty, rich and beautiful empire of Guyana and of that great and golden city which the Spaniards call El Dorado, and the naturals Manoa, which city was conquered, re-edified, and enlarged by a younger son of Guaynacapac, emperor of Peru, at such time as Francisco Pizarro and others conquered the said empire from his two elder brethren, Guascar and Atabalipa, both then contending for the same, the one being favoured by the Orejones of Cusco, the other by the people of Cajamalca. 
I sent my servant, Jacob Widden, the year before to get knowledge of the passages. And I had some light from Captain Parker, sometime my servant and now attending on your lordship, that such a place there was to the southward of the great bay of Charuas, or Guanipa. But I found that it was 600 miles farther off than they supposed, and many impediments to them unknown and unheard. After I had displanted Don Antonio de Berreo, who was upon the same enterprise, leaving my ships at Trinidad at the port called Curiapan, I wandered 400 miles into the said country by land and river. The particulars I will leave to the following discourse. The country has more quantity of gold by manifold than the best parts of the Indies or Peru. All the most of the kings of the borders are already become Her Majesty's vassals and seem to desire nothing more than Her Majesty's protection and the return of the English nation. It hath another ground and assurance of riches and glory than the voyages of the West Indies, an easier way to invade the best parts thereof than by the common course. The King of Spain is not so impoverished by taking three or four port towns in America as we suppose. Neither are the riches of Peru or Nueva España so left by the seaside as it can be easily washed away with a great flood or spring tide or left dry upon the sands on a low ebb. The port towns are few and poor in respect of the rest within the land and are of little defence and are only rich when the fleets are to receive the treasure for Spain. And we might think the Spaniards very simple, having so many horses and slaves if they could not upon two days' warning carry all the gold they have into the land, and far enough from the reach of our footmen, especially the Indies being, as they are for the most part, so mountainous, full of woods, rivers and marshes. In the port towns of the province of Venezuela, as Cumana, Coro and Santiago, whereof Coro and Santiago were taken by Captain Preston, and Comana and St. Josefo by us, we found not the value of one real of plate in either. But the cities of Barcasitema, Valencia, San Sebastián, Cororo, St. Lucia, Laguna, Maracaiba and Trujillo are not so easily invaded. Neither doth the burning of those on the coast impoverish the King of Spain any one ducat. And if we sack the river of Hacha, St. Martha and Carthagena, which are the ports of Nuevo Reino and Popayan, there are besides within the land, which are indeed rich and prosperous, the towns and cities of Merida, La Grita, San Cristoforo, the great cities of Pamplona, Santa Fe de Bogotá, Tunja and Mosso, where the emeralds are found, the towns and cities of Marequita, Vélez, La Villa de Leiva, Palma, Honda, Angostura, the great city of Timana, Tocaima, St. Aguila, Pasto, Santiago, the great city of Popayan itself, Los Remedios, and the rest. If we take the ports and villages within the Bay of Oraba in the kingdom or rivers of Darien and Caribana, the cities and towns of San Juan de Rodas, of Casares, of Antioquia, Caramanta, Cali, and Anselma have gold enough to pay the king's part and are not easily invaded by way of the ocean. Or if Nombre de Dios and Panama be taken in the province of Castilla de Oro and the villages upon the rivers of Senu and Chagre, Peru hath, besides those and besides the magnificent cities of Quito and Lima, so many islands, ports, cities and mines, as if I should name them with the rest, it would seem incredible to the reader. Of all which, 
because I have written a particular treatise of the West Indies, I will omit the repetition at this time, seeing that in the said treatise I have anatomized the rest of the sea towns as well, of Nicaragua, Yucatan, Nueva España and the islands, as those of the inland, and by what means they may be best invaded, as far as any mean judgment may comprehend. But I hope it shall appear that there is a way found to answer every man's longing, a better Indies for Her Majesty than the King of Spain hath any, which, if it shall please Her Highness to undertake, I shall most willingly end the rest of my days in following the same. If it be left to the spoil and sackage of common persons, if the love and service of so many nations be despised, so great riches and so mighty an empire refused, I hope Her Majesty will yet take my humble desire and my labour therein in gracious part, which, if it had not been in respect of Her Highness's future honour and riches, could have laid hands on and ransomed many of the kings and cacique of the country and have had a reasonable proportion of gold for their redemption. But I have chosen rather to bear the burden of poverty than reproach, and rather to endure a second travail, and the chances thereof, than to have defaced an enterprise of so great assurance, until I knew whether it pleased God to put a disposition in her princely and royal heart, either to follow or forslow the same. I will therefore leave it to his ordinance that hath only power in all things, and do humbly pray that your honours will excuse such errors as, without the defence of art, overrun in every part the following discourse, in which I have neither studied phrase, form, nor fashion, that you will be pleased to esteem me as your own, though over dearly bought, and I shall remain ever ready to do you all honour and service. So that's the first part of Raleigh's introduction. Now I know that this is all rather florid and Raleigh himself at the end seems to admit that he's not very good at writing. <laughs> but just to summarise what he's gone through here, some of the main points are that he has made a dedication to Charles Howard and Sir Robert Cecil, stating how they have stood by him during his good and bad times. He refutes accusations that he's a traitor, denying that he would ever support the Spanish king. There appears also to have been accusations that he's lazy and would never have undertaken such a voyage, so he's happy to prove the opposite. Raleigh mentions Pizarro, the man who conquered Peru. He clearly wants to emulate Pizarro's success, that's in European terms of the day of course, and he states that he has discovered a country which he says hath more quantity of gold by manifold than the best parts of the Indies or Peru. And of course gold is what it's all ultimately about. Raleigh then goes on to give a description of all the places that could be invaded finishing with a final appeal to God to make his final judgement of his work. So I like to put all this information in because this is long history, not the edited history. <laughs> and I hope that gives a flavour of the time and the personality of Raleigh. As I say, the text does eventually settle down and begin to be a bit more comprehensible. But we still have a bit more introduction to go in the next section. Now this first episode is already long enough, so I've split it off into a separate episode. And in that second part of the introduction, Raleigh specifically responds to naysayers who have wondered why, if this voyage was so great as he claimed, he hasn't managed to bring back any significant quantities of gold. So we can see that Raleigh is in the midst of a controversy. People don't believe that his voyage has had any results. The voyage in itself, in the meantime, will begin in episode 3. So thank you for listening and getting to this part of the document. 
please, before you go, do what you can to like this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to listen to the rest of this very curious document, which stands out as a strange mixture of fantasy, fiction, fact, bluff, and one man making his argument for a queen to invade South America. So thank you for listening to the first episode of Sir Walter Raleigh's The Discovery of Guyana. Who was Sir Walter Raleigh? Goodbye.